Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to Supernatural, The Crossroads, The Winchester's Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Cowley, and joined with me in studio today is Michael Flores. Hello, hello. And Ryan will sadly not be attending once again. He has had some personal matters to attend to. We wish him the best. He's fine. He's just got some stuff he's got to deal with. And until then, unfortunately, he missed what is perhaps... No, scratch that. What is... Oh, by far, oh, the best episode of the season to date. It's not just the best episode, Thomas. It is actually just, let's remove it from even its own comparisons, right? The things you can mm. compare it to. Okay. And just as an episode of, say, Supernatural, it's excellent. Yeah. It's actually very well made, and I'm so fucking happy. I'm angry. I'm actually angry. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> I'll get into that. I'm happy and angry. Like a like a a parent in a way who knew that the student can get a 4.0. It's like I'm happy you got this for half a, the year. Yeah. But why the fuck didn't you do that all year? Look right. at your grade point average. You still can't we fix it. We know that. you can do it, you little shit. Yeah. Now I know yeah. you can fucking do it. So now you're in trouble. Now you're grounded. The jig is up. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> So we are talking about season one, episode seven, Reflections. And this one, as we said, was by far the best. Not just episode of the Winchesters, but feels like a true sequel show yeah. episode of Supernatural. Yep. It really does feel like it fits for the first time in the entire show run so far. And the fact that it was written by Robbie, Robbie Thompson and directed by fan favorite and show favorite Richard Spate Jr., no doubt had a lot to do with that. I think that is without question because every component of the narrative felt unified. All the pieces were working together for a single outcome by the end of the episode. There were no thematic elements or strange side plots that were just distracted, floating off in the ether and irrelevant to the rest of the, the story and plot. Nothing dragged on. Every moment of what was happening felt like a building block as we moved towards an end goal. And I didn't have any complaints about what characters were doing. It kind of sounds like you describing how to properly write a television show. It's almost called a plot that follows specific beats and points in which you achieve narrative cohesion. What is this? <laughs> AKA makes sense. So, so the key talking points for today's show, one, and it cannot be stated enough. The directing was fucking solid. The fact that Drake Rogers performance in the last episode was so sketchy, wishy-washy mixed for inconsistent. us. Inconsistent is yeah. perhaps the best way to say it. But yet here is easily his best work on the show to date. 
is proof that picking the right director is vital to the life of a project. Yeah. You, you, I know we talk about how writing is the backbone and it gets all the control when it comes to television, but you cannot underestimate the quality that a, a quality director can bring. Or even someone who, yes, but also someone who understands the, the, the atmosphere of Supernatural. The world, the You tone. have to capture the atmosphere of whatever property you're working in. And obviously, Richard Spate understands that atmosphere. And it mm -hmm. comes across in his directing and how he works with the actors. And even some of the chosen shots, which were some of the best camera work in this episode as well. Oh, easily the best camera work this episode has had. The best choreography. There was motivation, motivated movement. From the very beginning, I was a little like confused. Like, what is this? The, you know, well thought out camera blocking. There's just At the very beginning when Mary's walking along the 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 radio tower mm -hmm. warehouse and the camera comes tracking in behind the grass. Yeah, I'm like, what? Well, We're actually using the foreground here in a frame. There's like, little things too that just make me smile because it's showing someone paid attention, like yeah. something as simple as the Akrita smacking the box out of her hand. Yeah. As opposed to her just dropping it and running away and just disappearing from the story. Like little things like that are just, thank you, God. Now, why didn't you do this last week? So, so directing was a huge talking point for us. The story moved forward in a very big way with a actually exciting cliffhanger. I would say exciting. Yeah. That brings about answers and questions that leave me Believe it or not, interested. I in am next actually week's, anxious well, and highly anticipating the return. Next week's whatever, next episode. Yeah. You know, that's that's something that I honestly and sadly have not been able to say until right now. I'm finally invested after this I'm episode. Fucking invested now. Please don't fucking drop the ball. And we're also, we were given clarification on where the Akrita are from. That they are not just a cosmological being from some veil beyond time and space, but in keeping with established lore that they are from, an, in fact, a different universe, presumably a different Earth. I mean, that's what's been established so far. We've never heard of other habitable planets. And if they were to go down that route, it does start to feel a little weird. Sci-fi. Because when they said they're from another world, the sci-fi abandoned me got a little bit of a boner mm -hmm. when they said they invade worlds i'm like oh wow these are like aliens and, and, and part of me was really See, that's interested. how you took that yeah that's how i, I took always it. took it as like the episode the thing or the hp lovecraft episode from season six where they're like other dimensional monstrosities rather than like a different planet necessarily well, ultimately that's the direction they they took well, in either way it's still a little sci-fi compared to what we're used to yeah it definitely needed to stay within that established lore because mm -hmm. if you start now saying well there's also other habitable places that are not earth like, i think for death right alluded now to that but we don't want to get into that not right now maybe eventually yeah you know when season Dean discovers like a um a buried stargate in the desert someplace at the age of 60 and it's old man winchester and the franchise really needs to be rejuvenated yeah. and it becomes a sci-fi we go through the stargate and we yeah. fight different <laughs> gods from another planet now i want to see that <laughs> dude we just write it down write <laughs> it get a pen and paper right now this isn't pen this is eyeliner <laughs> All right, and then also see look at look look at the energy right now, Mike. 
I know. Look at the excitement. What is this? This is called a smile. Allegedly. I don't know. I've heard that's what this is called. Yeah, you've been really dull as fuck. I have been. As a, dude, I heard it. When I was re-listening, I was like, God, I found I sound suicidal. <laughs> says a lot about my my But it also says that we're if you we're don't easily, do a good job on this show, I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, that's our where lives things, depend that's, on that's it. That's where we're at. Please. Oh fuck. But it also shows how easy it is to please dude. us. Just I'm not difficult. Just I seem like an asshole, but I really have give simple us needs. Some motivated camera movement. Give us a cohesive story. Adhere to you know supernatural's established genre conventions. Make sure you get a good director who actually understands the nuances of getting performance from actors. And, and touch it every and now and then. We're happy. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Stroke it just just for a second. <laughs> uh, now, all of that said, there was a little bit of a lore. Snafu, maybe when it comes to spoilers, Henry Winchester, but that can also kind of be argued away. It depends mm -hmm. on how you want to look at time travel, which any Doctor Who fan who's listening, which I know there is a crossover there, uh, gets complicated very, very quickly. But we'll we'll get into that. Uh, it's not an, a deal breaker unless they want to try and clarify something later. It really doesn't matter all that. Yeah, much. I kind of let that. It's a ding. go. It's a little ding. Is it, it, it is. It isn't even a dent. It's just a little ding. Yeah, and it's one that can be easily forgotten with what else happens. It can this be buffed week. out. It can be. You can buff that out. Yeah. So without further delay, let's get into the main episode discussion here. Synopsis: Roxy offers to trade Mary Samuel for the box. Meanwhile, the group tries to summon Henry Winchester's spirit to answer their questions. Now, this one was written by Robbie Thompson and David H. Goodman, who previously had written uh, episode two. The two of them did, Teach Your Children Well, which we did have low marks for that one. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, things have improved on this since episode two. Uh, and it was directed by Richard Spate Jr., a.k.a. Gabriel, for all the original Supernatural fans who has been a director since oof, season season 11? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. Yeah, and he's been directing a wide variety of television. Yeah, he's been doing a lot lately. So with let's get into that because I think that was probably the, the biggest value change between the previous episodes and this one because we had Robbie Thompson as the writer for the pilot and we had Robbie Thompson on episode two and we've had a number of different directors. The only thing that's truly stand out different is Richard Spate Jr. in this episode. So let's talk about the directing because this is the quintessential example when it comes to Supernatural, not just, you know, television. But this is how we can see it matters who is behind the camera. Not that we individually needed proof of this, but this episode is De facto proof of how important it is to have an experienced director involved, not just somebody who's familiar with your lore or can read up on it, because that is significant, but you need somebody who has experience behind their belt. And, and him and John F. Showalter are the only two from the old days that can bring this to the table. And I think the, the, thing that literally had me shocked 
because I, I, w I watched it here at Mike's and I had to talk about it as it was happening because I was truly surprised. And I haven't, I know exactly the last time I felt this way was when it came down to the fight scene between John and Mary and the Akrita. And the last time that I enjoyed a fight scene this much was in season 15 when Jensen directed and we had yeah. that sort of John Wick style episode yeah. in, I think it was episode four, three or four yeah. of, of season the final 15 season, right? of the yeah, final yeah, yeah, yeah. season. Yeah. I know what episode you're talking about. That was a fucking great episode, a great sequence and had truly awesome action. And this episode was this sequence was an example of why Spate is an ideal candidate to direct an episode of the Winchesters. It is exceptionally well choreographed. The camera blocking is on point. There's movement through the action sequences. There's attention to detail as to where the camera is moving, where our actors are at any time. It feels like a living, breathing kinetic. scene. Thank you. It's kinetic. It's kinetic, which is actually a film term. You know, kinesis is something that they stress that you put on that frame. There's got to be that movement to catch the eye and maintain the viewer's attention. And the way they captured that action sequence, it's, I'll go up a level. You said it's the best directing scene you've seen. So the, way it made, the way it made you feel yeah. was like, you know, in season 15 when Jensen directed that one episode. I would even say that this fight scene is one of the better fight scenes that I've ever seen in Supernatural, period. Yeah. It was so well done, and there was a naturalism to it. There was this, this attention to the movement and a naturalistic nuance within that frame. There was chemistry between the two actors that added a sense of trust and familiarity as they fought side by side. They struggled, even though mm -hmm. there were moments where... Mary and her three and her three foot, three five, foot, nothing, you know, 85 pounds. If you can forget the, the physicality, the issues when it comes to that type of thing, you can understand what they're trying to do. But even though they were fighting like rock stars, the way it ended with her falling on John, they're both out of breath. He collapse hits the fucking last Akrita with the trash can lid. It's that little Thing. The exhaustion the is there that make a scene pop. And those things, sometimes you can't rely on the actor to just do it. There are actors that can, that will bring these things out on their own, but that's why directing is so important because the director's paying attention to the overall presentation. How are you going to sell Mary and John fighting five or six Akrita well, are you going to end it with them just standing with without huffing and puffing? Completely fine. The fact that they both fall down and they're out of breath, they're struggling to get up. They're tired. It, it's the attention to detail is what really sells that entire scene. You, you mentioned that trash can scene. Even that was funny. Like that felt like a little bit of Jensen <laughs> when she said, these are demon possession rules. We can't injure the human bodies. And he says, right. And he picks up the trash can lid and throws it. It was so stupid, but it's, it's so literally dumb. something Jensen's character would have done. It's something Dean would have done. The thing is, dude, like all of it is the stuff that I think 
perhaps me out of frustration over anybody on the show right now has been begging for, which is just fucking care. Yeah. Because the little things like calling out that we can't kill them because people are possessed Mm -hmm. automatically. I'm okay with now having, you know, less vital. You don't need weapons because you're trying to not kill them. Right. So automatically I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. The fact that the movement and the blocking and the timing is so well done, it feels like a real fight. Mary gets kicked out of frame as John gets thrown back into frame. That was my favorite. That was the best part. He's about to get fucking smacked down and she jumping, leaping kicks because she has no muscle weight behind her. So she literally throws all of her weight into it. And it knocks the accreta down, but it also hurts John and wins him. It it feels brutal and realistic, and and because of the timing, everybody had to hit their mark. It feels like a real fight, not this swing wide, pause, take a punch, don't react, get stabbed, fall over. Like it goes from feeling like a grade school civil war reenactment to an actual budget fight scene by professionals. Well, it also felt like it was shot for the edit as well. Now, I I don't think Robert Richard Spate was involved in editing, but the fact that it probably was planned either in writing or at least in the choreographed set or scene, because there's even moments where they tricked single takes to, to help make the, scene not feel just like cut 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 because that's really bad that's that's a big hack maneuver that a lot of tv shows are doing nowadays because they can't quite choreograph a fight scene it's not even that they they don't take the time they hide it with numerous cuts and even though there were various cuts in here there were a couple that were seamless Mm -hmm. i had to go back because i thought wow that was one take between three or four different uh, action sequences and when you go back and rewatch you realize that there are some seamless cuts there and they're well made they're yeah. well done and that's a lot harder it's a lot harder to do it's a lot more time to plan that out that you have to be here you have to fall like this yep. you have to hit this mark while being thrown so that you're not too far out of frame mm-hmm. so that our next actor can run up in the space and hit that like it, it's just awesome to watch because it feels like people have passion and gave a shit and I fucking loved that scene. And I've complained about the fights for quite some time. Yeah. And and just how they would just like run away from monsters. This felt like, all right, I could see. I, I bought them being hunters a hell of a lot more with this fight. Yeah, agreed. And it, it's not just blocking and choreography. It's also getting the performances. Yeah. And bravo on that not only to richard spate but jojo fleetis did a great job he did an exceptional job in this episode we've given him a lot of shit we have and to be fair it's probably not his fault i think now it might not be it's the material obviously because whenever you have a director that can work with him he suddenly comes off as a real person he is no longer a gay cartoon (laughs) because that's what he is he's a gay cartoon and I'm not saying gay as in a derogatory way. It's no, just, just a he, matter of fact. He's a gay cartoon. Here we have a real person, not a cartoon, a real person. There was a naturalistic quality to his performance and not just in line delivery, but the entirety of character, the way he carried himself, the the way he interacted with Mary specifically. That was probably his 
I don't know, because I actually really liked all his bits yeah. in this. His scene with Mary is great, not only because he plays it fucking with, that's the thing, sincerity. He plays there, that's it. That's the right word. And he's sincere that mm-hmm. you feel like he cares about Mary and he cares about this team and their friendship that they have. Not just in her scene, in a later scene as well, it comes to light. But him also, the way they wrote that to have him trick her into saying it's not your fault was great. Yeah. That is it, clever writing. It also is a great way from a writing perspective to show that these characters actually have history and things in common. The, the fact that he would know what story to tell her. Right. For him to get the reaction that he wants her to have in order to prove his point. And not just that, dude. Like you said, his delivery of the lines, I actually laughed at some of his comments this time. Yeah. The sunglasses bit made me laugh. It's like, I take back what I said. And and just like, I know I'm supposed to lift you up right now, but we know I'm a terrible liar. And I think my favorite, though, where he's like, I need you to reach down beneath the seat with an open mind and take the baggie and hide it. I don't care where. Yeah, it was good. Like, that made me laugh. That felt fun. Yeah. This, this wasn't just silly over-the-topness. And he's had some other moments in previous episodes, but this felt more like... A character it felt like a supernatural character too. It so felt like a supernatural it had that type character. of personality. Yes, a little bit of arrogance mixed with a little Cockiness. bit of yeah. You know what it reminded yeah. me of? Dean. Dean yes. in season two, the Roanoke episode. Yes, where the guy tells him to get out of the car and he's like, "Well, I'm flattered, but you know." When he says those he are nice away. shades you have, officer. Yeah, like, that was very much a Jensen type of line. And that yeah. was also far more trying to be charismatic. Yeah. than his previous couple of episodes where I was like, dude, you're just floundering. Yeah, even when he got out of the, the cop car, yeah. he's all like, I lied about your shades. It's great. <laughs> it's, like, it's good. It's so fucking frustrating. Like it's you said, so frustrating. Like, I'm happy, but at the same time, point proven, Why? point proven here, guys, writing and directing truly do matter. It makes or breaks an episode. And this is the thing too, because it shows that all of these actors have great abilities, but if it's not handled properly, it won't come out. Yeah. Or at least not to the the fullest capability. And it's, I, so I liked that. I, and the thing is too, it wasn't just him, but like John did a fantastic fucking job. Well, I, th- I think we'll get into that here in a, in a little bit, but just so many Characters felt like real versions of characters, not just the CW stand-ins. Well, obviously, Drake Rogers, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he knows how to act. We've seen it in numerous episodes, but during last week's episode, we all cringed a bit because it didn't feel like he was able to do what needed to be done. There were moments where he lost the performance. Yeah. You can see it in his face. He wasn't quite sure what to do. And in this episode, he had all the confidence back, you can tell, because he was working with a director that could get what he needed out of him. And those are what actors want. They want directors that could get the performance. Get the performance that's going to make them look good. That's going to sell the yes. scene. And that's exactly what we saw make with all of our actors. Look good. But specifically with Drake Rogers, because I, I feel like he struggled in the last episode. And now here we see numerous scenes that involved uh, a very deep emotional moment. Moments. And not just that, dude. It's not just that he shows that he can do the emotional single man tier yeah. moment that we love on this show, but 
he just even carries himself with so much more confidence. Yeah. I, I pointed out to you when he's standing there with the jacket and he's just like actually like upright, like I'm a man, I'm a person standing here with a presence. Yeah. I'm like, I see old man John Winchester, a hint of the man he will become. Yeah. Just a hint. I agree. Yeah. And that's what I want from a prequel. So bravo across the board, like. I'm happy to see that because, again, we don't want this to fail. No. So directing was just chef's kiss, man. I loved it. And the script was very good, too, which helps. Yeah. Shockingly, there were so many components involved within the shaping of the narrative, and it all worked. It all built on top of things. Every bit of it. First and foremost... Because we've talked about this. <laughs> Dude, I'm so annoyed because all of this is shit we've talked about for the last six weeks. There's some fucking excitement and energy into this. There is a slow burn and a type of buildup that we're kind of accustomed to. But by the time we get to the final acts, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? And there was a couple of moments that surprised me. There was a payoff. When you have an episode with a lot of emotion and it's more slow going, you need to reward the audience with a, that catharsis. And that's what they gave. They made us work for the ending they gave us. And we're willing to work as viewers. We always are, as long as we are aware that at the end of this work, our patience and watching everything moving together, there's going to be a payoff. And there was. You got, and that's excitement now mm-hmm. that they delivered now generates more excitement to where people actually anticipate what comes next. And honestly, I don't feel like any of us in the studio have been really anticipating any episode. When no. it ends, it ends, and you're like, okay, well, it's over. That's that. Mm-hmm. This actually fell back into the the foundations of what supernatural was built on in the narrative technique the the idea behind how this episode was written where it was built to highlight John's emotional state as well as Mary's ability you know doing that parallel structure that supernatural has done so well for so many years where you're killing two birds with one stone essentially you know, you're separating the characters and giving them all something very specific to do. There's yeah. actual a concise intent behind every character. They're not just saying things to say things. They're not just doing things to do things. Everything they do and say actually adds to the momentum of the narrative. It's like every line was gone through with a fine tooth comb or almost as if it was a second pass. And decided if this line doesn't build things forward or build out our characters, it doesn't need to be here. Yeah. And that excitement, I think the excitement needed to be built the way it it was. Not just for obvious reasons as I had just gone through, but also with the ending that they wanted. The mm-hmm. idea that they did follow through with this love story tagline that they had stamped on all of the Winchester marketing. That this is a love story and to see the all the moving parts build to this epic moment where they finally kiss. Yeah. I'm a romantic at heart. So I love that moment. I almost felt myself about to clap. I was like, they kissed. Yeah. 
they but they made us work for it. It was earned. Yeah. That's the thing is cuz cuz yeah, I'm a romantic, but people wouldn't believe that, but I do believe in all of that stuff and I think it has merit in our society. And having it be a moment that didn't feel out of fucking nowhere or oh well, it's time we need it yeah. or rushed or awkward it felt earned it felt genuine they're behind closed yeah. doors their weapon is out of their hands their door's not going to hold it looks like a last moment i fucking loved it and i loved that too yeah and i liked the callback to the pilot with that line it's like this is an average night for you that was nice that felt like supernatural and so that's i think you're right i think the the tagline of like it being a supernatural love story paid off here and it didn't feel awkward. And I think it also helped because we had gone through some of the emotional journey with John earlier in this episode. And Mary going and following him and then talking to him felt genuine as well. And when you look at that fight scene that led up to their kiss, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a, you can look at it almost like a, as a type of metaphor. It's their dance. It's their, their courtship coming to that one moment. It's their dating. Yeah. It's their foreplay and it ends. That's why even there, there's an intimacy to how they were fighting, the way they were light on each other. They were partners and it all led to that moment, that kiss. Mm -hmm. And it, it worked. It was such a great way how it was all put together, both through directing and writing. And then to make it even that much better, you know, they give, they kiss, the door's being beat down, and then Samuel Campbell comes in like a boss yeah. and saves the day. And that, I actually got excited. Me too. When that accreta came flying through the air and it was so close to snatching Mary yeah. Winchester, yeah. and then boom, last minute, Samuel Campbell comes in and saves the day. It was a good moment. It was. It worked. And here's the thing, dude, I've made fun of the accreta. Like, I, I gave it kind of crap for like some of the design, and it feels like. Doesn't feel world ending, but when there's a horde of them breaking down the door and they were about to get them, yeah, at that final moment, I was like, I don't know, there was something about that feeling like a genuine threat that I was like, okay, I like these guys, yeah, it was just all those pieces working together, and that's why that a moment like that works. It were, turned me from skeptic to enthusiast, mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. and that's how you write a fucking episode of television, yeah. Because rather than working against yourself, <laughs> which why with conflicting tones and various themes and everything's all over the place because fuck it. And actually having a cohesive narrative where everything works together towards one central goal by the end of the episode. Look at that. You earn a great ending that has me excited and raving about it. Yeah. And looking forward to this show again in a month or two, whenever the next episode comes out. January 24th. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's I was, a ways away. I was a little disappointed God too. God damn it. Now I'm excited and I have to wait a month. Dicks. Yeah. More than a month. <laughs> Almost two months. I know. Shut up. Don't make it worse. And I think also what really helped with the momentum of that episode was the way we actually split up and properly utilized all of our characters. No one felt out of place. Nobody got excessive screen time to do nothing or just speak to the camera as the writer talking to the audience. Everybody was there that needed to be there and everybody fit a role. And having a true A and B story is one of the things that we've said, take from Supernatural. Go ahead, have your parallel narrative because it builds on top of each other. 
it's far more effective that way when we split up our characters than having them all grouped together because then they just feel like tag along tag alongs. And that's what it's How many times were we making jokes about Ada just being there or not Ada? Um, Lada. Lada was just there. She's just there. Carlos is around, but they all run away from stuff and don't do anything in this. You have everybody doing something and nobody was wasted. You had John and Mary's main point, main focus of them. You had Carlos doing, it's, it's little things too. Carlos leaving a hex bag in the cop car, but not knowing how to use a spell to track it. But Ada can do that. Yes. Lata is not on the front lines and she needs John's help to decipher Henry's old writing so that they can figure out this uh, ostium, ostium. Yeah. But then we're not quite sure if the, if this is chicken scratch or handwriting. So, so we need, what's her name? Millie. We need Millie. No, first we need John. John has, a, and he can't go with Mary now forcing Carlos to be her backup. Then needing to bring his mother in who will understand her husband's handwriting. Suddenly you've now found room for seven characters. And someone for Ada to play off of, who's her peer rather than feeling like an out-of-place parent. And you throw Samuel Winchester in there and Roxy and Henry. You have nine fucking characters. Foxy Roxy also was great yeah, to see she, an appearance of her. She was steamy. Oof. Nine characters. Yeah. And they were able to make it work. Whereas in previous episodes, we couldn't do much with four. Yeah. I mean, they're not doing themselves any favor. Favors having nine fucking characters. Well, I, but we're not talking about that. I mean, they need to pull back a bit, but at least in this instance, they really were able to make it work. And everybody had a part to play. And that's what you do when you have an ensemble cast. Look at Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones mm -hmm. during its heyday when it was good. You had 25,000 characters and every single character had a point. There wasn't some miscellaneous useless character that didn't do anything. That was later seasons. Yeah. <laughs> and you know how you know that it's when you take a character and remove them from remove them from the story and there's now a big glaring hole and everything starts to not click everybody who was in this had screen time that mattered felt important and served a purpose and i i don't truthfully think that's that much to ask for no and it's all as i i like how you put it because yeah, if you do remove a single character from this episode, the episode doesn't You work. take Lotta out, you never find the paper, and you can't decipher it because she was the only one who knew about the code. What's that game where you take things Jenga? out? Jenga? Yeah, that's what it is. It's you, narrative Jenga. You take Carlos out. Well, now you have no hex bag in the car, and Mary doesn't get seen, like, see the other side, and she just blames herself with guilt. You take Millie out. Well, you're never going to figure out how the fuck to do any of You're not going to find the spell for Harry Winchester. You take Ada out. You can't fucking track the car. You can't take anybody out. Yeah. That's how you know you did a good job. Bravo. Liked it. Really good. And we also got some bigger movement with our actual villains, which was nice. I was very happy with this part. The fact that Roxy was revealed so early on. We complained. <laughs> yeah, that's something we weren't happy about that they had. We had assumed that she was the queen because that's purposely. Obviously, now we know they were purposely trying to make us think that. Mm -hmm. And I was a little annoyed that she was shown in like the second or third episode 
And I'm like, okay, wait a second. Yeah, second this episode. is supposed to be the queen and you're already showing us who she is. So the fact that they're taking a page from some of the best episodes of Supernatural, meaning we are led to believe one thing, you know, who and where is this threat coming from? And then boom, actually this is the threat. And this is who is, who is, uh, who's representing the true danger to our characters. Mm -hmm. And even that answered some questions that we were like, what the fuck is happening here? And why are they just fucking around? Which was, as it turns out, the Akrita are on a mission beyond just gathering essence in a way that I thought was actually nice. They're searching for their queen. She has been buried deep below ground, locked away, presumably by the men of letters. And the essence that the Akrita have been collecting from the various monsters is being used as a way to revitalize the queen, bring her strength back. And that's one. I like that because that's new. We haven't had, except maybe death was, was buried and Lucifer had to go find him in season five and do all the death sacrifices. But that's like kind of a one-off we haven't really had this idea of this like long ancient buried power. And also it's very old school vampire that you need this blood to revive or, or life force to revitalize the vampire corpse, the dead body. And then the second that they drink the, the zombie corpse drinks blood, it becomes young again and full of power again. See, that's something that supernatural doesn't always do well because it's found its comfort zone within yeah. a type of a, a type of horror it doesn't really engage with a lot of horror semantics, like horror things that you expect within the horror genre. Maybe back through original run. Yeah, now it's just like, oh, scary thing. But they don't have the go-to generic conventions that make up that type of horror film that you would see. Whereas here, I like that they're kind of engaging with those classic vampiric tales well, even the, where you have that ancient evil buried. Even the Brendan Fraser's The Mummy has that. Yeah. The mummy absorbs yeah. body parts from people to revitalize itself. It's cool. It's cool. It's creepy. It's, it's different. It's yeah, it's different. I mean, I'm sure we, we've had characters that needed grace to fuel up. You know, yeah. But this but is, this is, is different. different. It's kind of the same idea, but it is different by the way it was executed. Yeah. And it did surprise me because I also was on the page of Roxy's the one in charge. This is how it is. Oh, fuck. That's not what's happening. You did say something Damn. that I agree with that I now I want it. Oh, you had said that. The right only at, thing that I felt well, was missing. First off, I'm happy that we didn't see it. See the queen. Correct. I love the fact that she just kind of bows down. I think that's what she did. She bows she down bows and her offers the, the monster yeah. essence. Perfect. And, yeah, I love that we didn't see it. But Correct. you had said the only you thing wanted I wanted a growl of some type. I wanted the monster roar growl at yeah. the end as we fade to credits to send a chill up my spine. That would have been good. That would have been the oh fuck yes, this is something to be excited about. Now yeah. I am still excited, but I feel like that would have been the perfect. I was waiting for it. I'm like, yeah, uh, that would have sent us over the edge. Yeah, that would have been. I need. I was. Ultimate. I didn't finish. I <laughs> needed that to finish. Yeah. But all of that worked, and I'm and I'm happy about that because they they did kind of play us, and you know golf clap, and that was a great bit. I do wish we had a little bit more, but that was still great. But I also liked 
how simply they answered some stuff in a way that gives me just enough to not be annoyed mm-hmm. and to answer things, which was, is it the ostium? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yep. I keep mispronouncing it. The ostium and the accreta. We, we, we learn a little bit more about how the ostium and the accreta actually works. And it was just little bits, but it reveals a lot. The ostium, we learn, is not in fact a weapon, but simply a device that has the ability to transport something, whoever, whatever, is captured to another place. It's essentially, which is also really interesting from a lore standpoint when you think about it, the the, the mental letters weaponized dimensional travel. Yeah. To lock that's people pretty away, fucking basically. Cool. And the thing that's even neater about it is the power source itself determines mm-hmm. where the portal opens. That is pretty cool because I could see them using this now for all types of things. And yeah. it effectively clips their wings, too. Because if they want to get someplace, they have to find something. You, you I'm assume that's connected to that place. You can't because, just go anywhere. Yeah, you need a specific power source to open a specific trans um specific portal. And that's fucking cool. It's cool. It limits it while giving it non-lethal abilities, since that seems to be an important aspect. But it also, it's just, it's new lore and new technology. And unlike the, you know, well, shocker, white men are assholes (laughs) comment. It makes the mental letters feel like actually uh, intelligent people. (laughs) We get a little bit of the fact that this is how it works and that the stone from the Akrita homeworld is how we send them back. It gives us a, a, a motivation or a, or a trail to follow later. We got to find another piece to recharge this thing. It has limitations. And we find out that the Akrita are, in fact, an invading force that acts as one, the sort of hive mind element, which I kind of assumed because whenever you have something that's just like we are legion kind of numbers, mm-hmm. there's usually like the Leviathan, a cut the head off the snake and the body dies element. But... This they, they feel like a swarm of locusts where they come into worlds, wipe out the life, and then take it as their own. So I don't know. It just it worked. These little bits of maybe this is how it recharges. You have to go find this rock. It's these little elements that make it feel real and also, thought out. And also, even though it feels consistent with supernatural, this is ultimately why I love this episode as well. Even though everything they're doing feels in sync with the things that we're familiar with, that makes it feel like a legitimate spinoff, it also at the same time feels very unique to this show. Some of the things they're doing feels different, Mm -hmm. and it should be, because this is something that we've complained about since episode two, when we realized that we're basically getting Supernatural season 16, that this isn't really a a different show it's literally written within the same exact formula with the exact same beats well okay here we have an episode that really does a number on our expectations and actually does something that feels on par with what we've come to expect within the world of supernatural but also something that relies on its own unique innovation rather than simply regurgitating and borrowing things like the, 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 the unicorn monster thing. I just didn't really like, yeah. it just felt like the alpha thing all it over did. again. It very much but did. But here we are. And we realize that the essence is not about anything other than fuel. Fuel. Cool. Yeah. I'm down for that. I also like how we learned about the Akrita with how they function. They do not 
take meat suits, which I'm very actually happy about. We got well, some answers. Well, they kind of alluded to that. They, they but... alluded to it, but I was making a lot of complaints because I'm like, how the fuck does this work? Is it just, it's just vague. It was abstract. This is much more, they control people like puppets and evasion of the body snatchers where the entity lives separate from the host it controls. Because not only does that mean they don't need a host body like demons or angels do, they can control from thousands of miles away. They are not limited to a single entity that you can trap. They can just poison and control widespread yeah which is new and and i think fairly unique yeah and fairly interesting and the fact that it is completely cognizant like the hector guy who's like because at first i'm like why are you just waiting here and you don't give a shit oh because this is just a meat suit to give away a message of a you know middle finger to our protagonists i liked that (laughs) and now i have less questions yeah that just feel arbitrarily unthought of and actually like, okay, this is how things work. Well, we said, you know, during the episode where they gave us that little bit of information about how they nest in your subconscious, mm-hmm. but it was also very abstract and very abstract. generated a bunch of additional questions because it didn't really quite make sense. Like, so are they not possessed? Is it just a stinger that then, you know, acts as a way to control these, these people or humans so this episode took those ideas and just clarified. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Now, there's been a lot of praise so far. And this is really kind of our only, this is nitpicky, but. But also <laughs> easily solvable. It also easily solvable. And we also wouldn't be the show. If we also didn't do this. determines on how you look at it. Right. It, this is just more, I guess, up for debate. So the only problem with an otherwise great episode is. Perhaps the question of how did the seance work to call Henry? Because in order for a seance to work, shouldn't he have to theoretically be dead? Now, there's a few ways to look at this, because as far as the, the actual timeline goes, in what, what year was it? 58? 1958 is when, is when he left. 1958, he jumps through a time portal out of time into 2013 which is the exact same year he died which is the same year he died he was alive so he's missing because he leapt into the future which means at any point between 1958 and 2013 when he actually died he's simply removed from the time he simply doesn't exist as far as magic or or logic and as far is as concerned. everyone else in the real world is concerned there would be no séance to pull from until 2013 when he's dead or number uh, a second option death is more relative in the world of supernatural in that it has no real meaning as to when you die because time functions very oddly in heaven and hell. Now it does seem to be linear in heaven and hell, but that's up for debate or subjective at this point too, because you could say from a timeline standpoint, he died a couple of days after he left in 1958. So maybe that leapfrogs or, or or rubber bands, his, his consciousness, his soul back to, the, the time in which, like, like a couple of days after he left, he'd be, quote, dead and then back in time with heaven and hell. There's also ways to look at it where time is relative. 
Mm-hmm. Meaning he died in 2013, but at some point his, his soul has reverted back to 1958. Like he's dead. He's Did his dead. soul transfer through time. Who knows? Yeah. There's different. That's why I hate time travel because there's so many different time travel theories that you can go to and try to look for reasons on or reasons as to why certain writers did things or to help explain things. Because I have done this in detail with my charts Star, and with graphs. my Star Trek coverage. So Me and yarn David, attaching different images. Yeah. It's been hours <laughs> trying to make sense of all the time travel and the alternate universes and what time travel does to an alternate universe. Does it do the same thing to the current universe? There's so much fuckery in the world of Star Trek when it comes to time travel mm-hmm. that you have to be a time travel expert to understand some of it. So with this, I can definitely find ways to explain it, but it's not worth getting into the weeds here because honestly, something like this can be easily explained. They also had him say something like, I have so much to explain to you. Right. So, I mean, that right there, that line alone can nullify some of these time travel issues because who knows what happened? Well, I mean, and what, what other story is going on that we don't even know about? And it's like I said, for, for fans from Doctor Who, time is, is incredibly subjective and you can fuck with it however you want. And perhaps they'll explain how he was able to be contacted despite not actually being dead in what, 1972, I think is when this one takes place. Do you think him and Millie had some uh, like um, the equivalent of phone sex really fast? Like ghost yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So, listen, we can't touch each other, but we can show each other's penises. Well, she doesn't have a <laughs> well, penis. I was going to say, there's both? Well, it's, it's, it's a party. <laughs> Does John get Car- involved? Carlos showed up. Oh, okay. He's all, I heard there's some dick here. I heard there was penises? Yeah. Which hole is this? As he made, like, even that made me laugh. Yeah. When he yeah. references the ostium. Yeah. I was like, fuck, all right, I'll give you that one. It's It just comes down to performance. Yeah. Or number four option, they nobody thought it through and said, fuck it, which is always a possibility as well. Yeah, that could be true, too. So, yeah, but I, I liked everything about this episode felt, for the most part, pretty fucking well thought out. Yeah, and it makes me really excited for what's coming next, because I also remembered it made me remember what because um, I was so distracted with the pilot. And I, we might have talked about this. I can't remember. But Henry Winchester's opening narration in the pilot where he says that our family has fought, you know, these dangerous worlds. There are dangerous worlds out there. Our family has fought that world for centuries. Our family fought that world for centuries. They're building up this legacy for the Winchesters that far supersedes the contemporary versions of Sam and Dean, which I feel like there's so much there now, so much potential that they can dig in. It's, and it goes back to what we've always said about supernatural. The world of supernatural is limitless. If you know how to write, the world is limitless. There's literally anything you can do. And I feel like an episode like this capitalizes on those aspects by trying to be different, but also adhering to, uh, the things that we come have come to expect from supernatural mm-hmm. and then they're building their own legacy. And that's what this show needs to do. If a show yeah. like this is to have any chance to survive, it has to build its own legacy. It has to be its own thing. You can't rest on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. And this episode feels like it's its own. 
So not only is it well-directed, well-written, this episode feels unique. It feels like it's standing on its own fucking legs. Yeah. And that's why, Thomas, mm. I'm going to give this episode a 94%. Oh, shit. It is fucking good. It is good. Damn. All right. 94. That's high. It is good. It is very well written. It does not feel like CW garbage. It feels like a classic episode of Supernatural. It was firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I, I mean, it is hard to argue that. I, I think that, again, I'm angry because <laughs> this means the potential's there. Yeah. This means it could be great. And this means you wasted a lot of time. In a day and age in which you don't have that affordability anymore. Yeah, they've might have they might have shot themselves in the foot for all we know. You might have shot your own dick off, you know? If you're not careful, you can do that. <laughs> and I I really, really hope that it doesn't get really good just to not get another season. How awful would that but be? But I, I but I feel like that would be better than having this bright moment only to go back down. Yeah. And I I enjoyed it. I was having fun. I was laughing at parts that were intended I felt to be funny. Human again. I, part of me felt something again, you know, which is rare these days. So I'm I'm not quite 94. How? Because I'm a stick. I don't know. Because I'm an asshole. If there's nothing wrong with this episode, and not only is it adequate, it's more than adequate. How is it not a 94%? Because I'm meaner. Okay. What are you going to give it? I was going to give it a 90%. That's still good. I still okay. really liked it. It's the best by far. It captured my attention. It had me excited. You know, fine, 90, 92%. Okay. I'll go up a little bit because I, I am sitting here. It checked all I your had, boxes. It checked all my boxes. You know, I think, I think I'm taking points off because You're of, angry. of bad, bad classroom behavior prior <laughs> to this. <laughs> but, you know. We'll see, but I, I I really did enjoy this, and this is what I had been hoping for since episode one. Yeah, we had action that feels like it has merit. We have characters that are doing things that matter. We have stakes that are rising. We have the same type, similar type of humor. We have even fun little moments like Ada and Millie in the car watching the woman drive away. And they're like, should we follow her? I'm like, see, this is why you have this third team. Yeah. Because now you can follow her and see what's happening. And then the cop showed up and she hit him with a bat. And I laughed because she even said, does her- he have dental yes. insurance? What is, what is going on in that writing room? What How happened? did they bring it all together in one episode? Was everyone drunk on NyQuil before Maybe we started Robbie this Thompson episode? A, a month ago when they were producing this episode was like, fuck, we just, we just were told that we're not getting a, we're not getting um, a second a, season a back end order. So uh, we better get our fucking shit. Together. And, I, and I think this is, this is kind of my last thought on this is it comes back down to what I had been saying before is that it felt like nobody cared because they had this. Yeah, we'll get another season. We, they'll watch it anyway. They're fans. We don't have to try. Yeah. And this feels like, oh, fuck. The numbers aren't there. We need to try. And our fairy godmother, Mark Pedowitz, is no longer relevant. They're not protecting you anymore. You have to bring it all in order to get another season. You have you to can't play just by television rules again. 
the streaming rules are quickly dying. We're seeing it left, right, and center. Yeah. So if you want to make it, you have to put it put in your all. And I'm happy to say this felt like they really tried that. And for the first time, like you said, I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Now and that's please, a significant please turnaround. Please don't break my heart next now, episode. Don't, I've been hurt before. Yeah. Just last week. Be careful, please. So with my heart. You know, we'll see what happens. But if Robbie Thompson and Richard Spate need to write and direct each episode, then, then that's do it. what then, then that's, that's what, you what need needs to, do. to be fucking done. But that has to be done. You have to do what you got to do. If you got to throw the junk food out of the house to not eat it, then that's what you do. Yeah. So. Yeah, dude, I'm excited. And I'm very, very happy to say that. Because I, I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to. Yep. And it does really feel like a midseason finale, too. Yeah. They, they did what needed to be done. Yeah. So now the bastards are making us wait two months almost. Um, I would gladly but wait. But I'm okay with it. Yeah. After, after our recent Rain Man discussion, I'm okay with things being an event. Feeling like I can wait and be excited for something. Rather than just have content force-fed down my throat with a fire hose. Sometimes that's sexy. Sometimes. But when it's happening all the time, you just you feel terrible. And you get a sore throat. So, oh. <laughs> oh man, so it's a shame, dude, that Ryan's not here for this one. I know, <laughs> I know. I, I had an one. idea that he, I had a general idea that he was going to. Yeah, but um, because of his own personal problems mm-hmm. that are happening right now, but uh, I was like, shit, I really wish he would show up because yeah. this episode's great. Yeah, we'll get we'll get his thoughts on it when he comes back. So yeah. I think that's it here for us right now on Supernatural, the Crossroads, the Winchester edition. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.